0: let us begin uh, our prayer this morning here in this beautiful countryside with these final words from St. Luke in his Gospel that refer to today's solemnity. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. we picture now our Lord blessing. What was a blessing of our Lord like? I'm sure he didn't make the sign of the cross. Uh, That would only come later. But he blessed them in a way that they understood that they were receiving his grace. And we know today on this feast of the Ascension that Jesus' life on earth did not end with the cross. But ended with this moment of his ascension. It was this Exodus that he spoke about when he was being transfigured, and he had on one side he had Moses, on the other side he had Elijah, and James and John and Peter were there completely bewildered and full of joy at what was what they were seeing in the transfiguration. And he spoke with Moses, and with Elijah, about his exodus. That's what he was speaking about, about the day he would leave this this earth, and that it would be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And that's the moment that he had prophesied. And from here, he sends out the apostles, we are told, clothed with the promise, the power of the promise of my Father upon you. That is, the Holy Spirit to preach the whole world repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You can imagine how invested the apostles were. They had this joy, but they also had a deep sense of responsibility that they were now on a very fundamental mission to literally change the world. And that's why this moment of the Ascension is also the origin of the Church. Up until then, they were pretty bewildered, they were confused, they didn't, you know... Like, I'm sure that if you had asked some of the Apostles before the Ascension, okay, is Jesus God, is He the Messiah? They they probably would have said, yeah, I guess so, I guess so. You know, they probably said something like that. But after the Ascension, in particular after they received the Holy Spirit, they said, of course and you must believe, right? And you must be baptized. They would have said something like that. In other words, they were invigorated now. And so, that's why we say that the ascension is something that takes place kind of between heaven and earth, right? Sometimes you see paintings of the Lord, like literally in midair, and he's blessing them, and the apostles and Mary are are there, And it's like between heaven and earth. And this is a beautiful passage from St. John Chrysostom, one of the early fathers of the church, who was, Chrysostom, it means gold-mouthed, because he, well, the words that came out of him were literally like gold. People would like, you know, hold on to the things he said. And he said, about the ascension, he said, he spoke about the cloud that took him from their sight, because there was a cloud there. He said, the cloud was a sure sign that Jesus had already entered heaven. It was not a whirlwind or a chariot fire as in the case of the prophet Elijah, but a cloud which was a symbol of heaven itself. I mean, clouds. What are clouds? Clouds, obviously, are things that are always up there in the sky, but in the in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they are figures of theophanies—that is, manifestations of God. Like in the Old Testament, remember when Moses went up Mount Sinai, people would look up and then they would not see him, and there would be clouds and thunder and lightning around, and they would say, "Okay, he, he's talking with God." I mean, this is serious, you know. And they, but they couldn't see him; they couldn't see him. He was why? Because it was not a clear day. Let's say there were lots of clouds, or precisely. during the transfiguration on mount tabor well the peter and james and john they just they just saw this cloud and but they nevertheless saw jesus so as we reflect today on on this feast of the ascension which is a real big solemnity all the churches celebrated uh, it's an ecumenical feast We'll try to understand. Okay, so what's the meaning of it? What's why did you have to do that, Lord? Why, you know, indeed, what is the redemptive meaning of it? You're leaving us. You're leaving the earth. I mean, we think of when relatives die. You know, we think, well, he died or she died, but she is up there. We'll say she's gone to another place. They are no longer here but with the Father in heaven. So, wh- what does it really mean? And well, one of the places we can find that is in the Catechism, St. Pius V. He's the Pope who um, presided over the Council of Trent right in the 16th century with the, in the response to the Reformation. And he, he mandated a catechism to be written back then called the Catechism of the Council of Trent. And he said... He said, the ascension is not only proposed to us as a model, which teaches us to look on high and ascend in spirit into heaven, but it also imparts to us a divine virtue which enables us to accomplish what it teaches. And uh, so it helps us to look on high because you remember some of the apostles were there and they were looking. They were looking like, 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 where is he? They were looking up, you know, that image. They were looking up into the air, but then he was taken from their sight by this cloud. And the cloud signifies that he is no longer here. He's in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and so this fact of our Lord in heaven is not only something that stirs us to lift our hearts, mm-hmm. like, like in the mass, we're told, lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. We'll have that in the preface. Right? We why do we say lift up your hearts? I mean, my heart's right here. Like what do you mean? Like lift do I have to lift it up? Do I have to pump it? Or? No, it means that our heart and soul have to be like in heaven, right? And and to love the things that are above. We hmm? read that from Saint Paul's letter to, to the Colossians, you know. He said, Lift up your hearts. Love the things that are of heaven or the things that are above. And and so along with the other mysteries like his life his death his resurrection christ's ascension also saves us because because it it leads us to like put our our thoughts and our minds where our lord is because he is no longer here he is in heaven he however left himself in a unique way with the blessed sacrament with the eucharist but the eucharist is the same as the one who is in heaven. It's the risen lord. Some people ask me, you know, why the Eucharist like we eat the Eucharist. I mean, isn't that like we're eating his body and blood? Like, you know, some children they get kind of freaked out by that, you know, they like they think you're actually eating like a body, you know, like a, like a like a Okay, they say like cannibalism. You know, they actually say that, right? And I said no 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 It's that yes, you're eating his body, but it's his risen body that is in heaven. Hmm? And we are members of the mystical body of Christ. So we too, in some way, mysteriously, we are up there in heaven too. Hmm? He is there with his soul, his divinity, and his glorified body. He's in heaven. Right? Seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And why do we say he is seated? Is there some big, huge throne there? And he's like a lazy boy, and he's like, yes, you know? Now, when you say seated, that means he's reigning. It's like a, like a king sits at the throne, right? It means he's playing a role. He's a mediator. He is interceding for us. He's he's playing his role like a high priest. Hmm? And um, and so he's really saying that this world in which we are in is sanctifiable because it is destined for Heaven. We are destined to heaven. And that's so ultimately what it means for us, the ascension, is that we are destined to be with Jesus in heaven, but that means we have to be detached from the things below. This is not the final place for us. Sometimes we get so attached, we like nice things, we like the world, we want to stay here. But we have to be detached from these things. That's why we have to, you know, look up to heaven. Remember that strange passage in the Acts of the Apostles where the apostles are like they're saying, like, where is he? Where where is he? Where is he? And lo and behold, two angels angels, well it says two men dressed in white, which were basically angels, right? I mean, people don't go around dressed in white. I mean that's just not the two angels, right? And they said to those guys, they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky, this Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will return in the same way that you have seen him go to heaven. I always trying to picture this scene. they okay, is that him? No, no, that's, that's a bird. Is that, is that him? No, that's something else. And, uh, and they're looking, they're looking. And the angels say, what are you guys looking up? That's just sky. Because the sky and the things up there, that's part, really part of this world. It's part of this earth. But he is not here. He is in heaven. Hmm? He's no longer here, kind of floating as part of this world or, or like on a kind of, ai don't know, flying around like a drone. He, he's not doing that, you know. And, uh, and so we have to, in that sense, we have to look up, not to the sky like those guys, but to heaven, Keep our hearts there, because that's where we're ultimately destined for. I read an article some years ago that can help us by an author from, I believe he's from uh, New York. His name is Arthur C. Brooks. He's written some beautiful books on, on beautiful subjects. About really being the best version of yourself and things like that, and, and he wrote an op-ed piece a few years ago in the National, in, in the Washington Post, and he talks about the great composer uh, Beethoven yeah, from Germany, and the fact that Beethoven, when he was like forty-five, he went completely deaf, and he, he was an amazing composer, right? And he, when he started first when he started losing his hearing, he started getting really mad. Like he, he raged against his own decline, and he insisted on on performing, and he would s- smack down on the keys of the piano with all his might, hmm? trying to hear something, and the the people in the house were going, like, this guy. he even broke the piano keys, you know because he because he couldn't hear anything and um And he even considered suicide at one point because he couldn't imagine his life without music. He just couldn't imagine it, right? uh, But his friend told him, look, don't do that. Suicide is not good. That would be a lack of moral rectitude. So, okay. So with his um, diminished hearing, um, what happened? Well, the fact that he couldn't hear actually diminished the prevailing compositional fashions of the day. And uh, the works he had done before when he could hear, it w- they were described as pleasantly reminiscent of his instructor, Joseph Haydn. And they were kind of copies, uh, not quite copies, but they were nice, and he did good compositions, and he became fairly well-known. Yeah. But when he, when he became deaf, something incredible happened. He was suddenly cut off from the musical world around him. He could no longer hear any of this. All he could see were structures and notes on a piece of paper. That's all he could, well, that's all he could do, right? And he had just his imagination to work with. And it's at that moment, at that great kind of crisis in his life, when he was, feeling completely weak and vulnerable that he actually produced the greatest music in his career, culminating in the famous uh, Ninth Symphony, you know, the the Ninth of Beethoven, as we call it. And it was a composition now that was daringly new, and it was like a form of reinventing classical music in the romantic genre and we uh, you know it was com- composed between 1822 and 1824 and then finally it was it was uh, premiered in in May on May 7th 1824 in Vienna and it culminated with this insane choir which sang the ode to joy famous ode to joy if you ever seen them perform you see this massive uh, symphony with, you know uh, all the instruments you can think of and then above they have this huge choir i don't know they must have had over a hundred people and these soloists in the middle and uh and it's just a a stunning stunning uh, rendition of what he did right you know he he did something absolutely stunning because he wasn't holding on to the prevailing winds that were normally in his ears so we could ask ourselves with this example, you know, what have I had in my own ears lately? What has been swirling around in my head, even this morning when I came here? You know, it, it's um, you know in our current uh, technological cultural moment, uh, we're constantly connected to the humming of the online world the beeps and the murmurs and the pings and the vibrations and the, and the Instagram posts and they are constantly seeing all this. And um, all this has become so dominant in our interior world. And uh, yet maybe Jesus is silently urging us to look up to heaven, to look up in silence. Not so that you have your head in the clouds, but with our mind and our heart in heaven. That's what we say in the preface. Lift up your hearts. Lift up your hearts to heaven. Because that is our ultimate destiny. And you could say that there's a marvelous symphony playing up there. Perhaps one that I've not really heard. And that's one of the great signs of leadership is that we we are able to help somebody who's overly focused on the things of this world, overly focused on maybe a mistake they made or or an attachment they have and help them to look up to see the bigger picture in their life. Mm-hmm. But of course if we're plugged into our TikTok views and 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 the constant kind of humming of of the the gadgets around us mm-hmm, It'll be difficult for for us to lift up our hearts. And we can ask ourselves, with the help of Beethoven, I I suppose you can intercede for us, if we can can turn down the volume of everything else around us. And uh, perhaps that's what the ascension is reminding us today, that uh, yes, Jesus left, and no doubt the apostles were saddened by that. Uh, but he left in order to send us the Holy Spirit, the, the active presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, eh, to help us in a real and cogent manner. Mm. Now obviously Beethoven really regretted the loss of his hearing, mm. uh, but he did not realize that the very fact that he lost his hearing led to to his uh, his romantic style to be heard by others. Mm. And uh, he would kind of define what the romantic music would be like, and whenever you see uh, a video of of the of the symphony, very often at the end they tell you after they you know they come to a, a, a dramatic end, they say, "This is the symphony that Beethoven composed for us a symphony that he never heard right? that he never heard yeah. and many have commented that the last part of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is the most beautiful of all, that when everything comes to a climax, it's the the Ode to Joy. And that's where finally all the choir stands up, because the whole time they've been waiting their turn, right? But finally they stand up, and you've got the sopranos, and you've got these tenors, and the basses and everything, and they've, okay, now, now, now it's our turn, you know? And they sing the famous Ode to Joy, and it's all about joy mm-hmm. it was written by uh, a friend of uh, beethoven the famous uh, german uh, poet friedrich schiller and it's all about the old to joy and i remember myself as a kid uh watching i mean i heard this so often as a kid but uh, the, the the beethoven's ninth that one of the things my dad used to do is um you know that we'd hear it in the house but then when somebody said okay Okay, we, you know, like we've heard this several times now today. So he would just put it on the earphones, and he would lie down, and he would he would see him, you know, the conductor of an invisible symphony, right? And uh, and he especially got really really vigorous when it came to the old to joy, you know? because it was all about joy, and you could hear him say the, the famous words, the first two words, the stanzas in German was Freude schöner Götterfunken tochter aus. Elysium, right? which means, uh, it's not a great translation, but spark of fire from heaven, daughters from Elysium. What does that mean? Well, it um, it really means uh, a spark of fire from heaven. That's where Jesus is. Tochter aus Elysium, it means daughters of Elysium. Uh, Elysium is really another word for heaven. It's just another word for heaven. And if you listen to this beautiful, uh, well, this hymn, it's really uh, a thorough examination of the emotion of joy, hmm? its origin, its purpose, right? Elysium. Elysium is heaven. We are daughters of heaven. Daughters and sons. I don't know why it says daughters, honestly, but then I thought, hey, wait, wait, what about us, you know? But it just says daughters. But then it talks about brothers all together. And it's, it's really, you know, it's insane. It's just like, you know, but it's, urging us right uh, it's urging us it's urging christ as our mediator as our high priest it's kind of saying everything is worthwhile don't worry about it it's okay even the hardships even the pain even the humiliations it's all worth it because we are sons and daughters of heaven in other words of that joy and then it has a beautiful passage that talks like dreams about all brothers uniting in harmony and and he even talks about the wine of joy, right? Bubbling out of glasses. And, uh, you know, it uh, it says a toast to God, or we hope that in heaven there will be some serious wine there, right? <laughs> and uh, so, you ever listen to it? Uh, you can listen to it in German. I know you all understand German perfectly. but um, Or you can listen to it in English. Eh, not so good. But uh, what can you do, you know? So, And so, we have to think that... Um, yeah, the, the, the Holy Spirit acts with his promptings. And if we look up, what will be the result? If we look up, that is, if we are, are supernatural in our thoughts, immediately the result will be joy. The true, serene joy. So this is what we ask of our Lord. It's one of the results. Joy does not come when we have everything we want, when we have all the techno gadgets that we want, when we have you know, all the good food and the, the pleasant things, or even when people say we're, we look good or we look lovely, or we even success, even human success. That's not the ultimate origin of joy. The ultimate origin of joy is that we, we truly have our our heart in heaven. Some people say your head in the clouds. Okay, your head in the clouds. Insofar as the clouds means heaven. And so... Um, that's what says, it says about the apostles, that they were really conscious of this presence because after the ascension, they went back to Jerusalem rejoicing. Yes, they were sad because he left, but they were also rejoicing because they understood the responsibility that God had given them. You know, when you leave somebody at the airport and they go away, or when somebody dies, you are sad. You are sad. But you know, okay, now it's my turn. I have to take this place now. And Pope Benedict said in his book on Jesus of Nazareth, he said, disciples return joyful. It is because the disciples do not feel abandoned. They do not consider Jesus to have disappeared far away in the inaccessible heaven. They are absolutely convinced of a new presence of Jesus. The joy of the disciples after the ascension does not mean departure into a remote region of the cosmos, but rather the continuing closeness that the disciples experience so strongly that it becomes the source of lasting joy, Hmm? lasting joy. And that's really very important. Have I been a bit sad? Have I been glum? Have I, you know, been kind of discouraged? Have I been complaining? Hmm? And people really need to see your joy. They need to see you're happy. It doesn't mean you're, everything's going well, you know, everything's fantastic. No, they, they, but they do need, need, they do need to see that. It's part of your responsibility, my responsibility, that even if things are, it's a rainy day, or things aren't going well, we have to, okay, look up to heaven. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. And so... It really means that with acts of faith we become more optimistic, Uh, we can even boost others, your brothers, your sisters, your own parents, your relatives, your friends. And uh, it is true that there are always a thousand reasons to complain. There are, no, a thousand and one reasons to complain, right? And the only place you're allowed to complain is in confession, no problem, okay? The priest says okay 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 are you finished yeah are you finished you know no he's not going to say that but uh, you know that's okay that's legitimate you won't get a ticket for that okay but then after right after that open door policy well, then we have to go and you know live that immortal flame of of the presence of god in our life and um we know the Lord will never be forgotten, because he's always alive, and he will come again. He will come again, the second come. So let's ask this of our Blessed Mother, who is, well, she's also there in heaven. I mean, she was assumed, right? So she plays her role there, and uh, she will grant us that joy that we need to be sons and daughters of God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.